0: to you a very brief uh, passage of scripture, a very familiar passage from Luke uh, chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the sayings which were told them concerning this child. And all that they had heard wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Amen. We have been uh, studying for some time in the Gospel according to Luke, which happens to be my favorite record of the Gospel. Last week we looked into the birth of John the Baptist, and we saw some of, uh, in Luke, by the way, you have four canticles, if you're liturgical and you don't mind using that word, and I don't. Uh, It means a song, and there are four songs that occur there. One is a song called the Magnificat, which Mary sings, Uh, when the angel announces to her the great privilege for which God uh, has selected her. And then there is the benedictus, just from the Latin word uh, blessed, uh, which Zacharias uh, sings in praise of God for the gift of John the Baptist, who is to be the forerunner of this child. Then we will find other songs that are sung, the song of Simeon, the song of Anna, the song of of the angels when they come actually when we come to something as big as the incarnation is our whole imagination is just staggered with the fact that the God the creator of all of the universe the maker of all things should distill himself into one little infant and to be born into this world bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh for the purpose of redeeming us. And the manner in which his birth comes about is something which certainly humbles us all. It's, it's very big for us. If you have your bulletin, let me show you because it takes close reading to understand C.S. Lewis sometimes. The grand miracle is what he calls the incarnation. And because last week we studied from Zechariah, we saw that in... Uh, Uh, Zachariah's song in announcing John the Baptist coming to prepare the way and you remember I illustrated it by saying interstate 40 goes through and the highways tear up everything well you make the way for the Lord to come and John says that uh, we have to prepare our hearts for the coming of the Lord and John the Baptist was a tough preacher A.W. Tozer who was a great Christian and missionary alliance uh, preacher and saint Had this to say, uh, we preach the gospel. We who preach the gospel must not think of ourselves as public relation agents sent to establish goodwill between Christ and the world. We must not imagine ourselves commissioned to make Christ acceptable to big business, to the press, to the world of sports, or even modern education. We are not diplomats, we are prophets. And our message is not a compromise, it is an ultimatum. And that's why John the Baptist came saying, Repent ye, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And his message had to be that way. But now when we come to an understanding of what is going to happen, when the Son of God comes into the world, we come to this greatest miracle. And look at what Lewis said. He says, let us suppose we possess parts of a novel or a symphony. Someone now brings us a newly discovered piece of manuscript and says, this is the missing part of the work. This is the chapter on which the whole plot of the novel really turns. This is the main theme of the symphony. Our business would be to see whether the new passage, if admitted to the central place which the discoverer claimed for it, did actually illuminate all the parts we had already seen and pull them together. Nor should we be likely to go very far wrong. The new passage, if spur us, that means if false, however attractive it looked at the first glance, would become harder and harder to reconcile with the rest of the work the longer we considered the matter. But if it were genuine, Then at every fresh hearing of music or every fresh reading of the book, we should find it setting down, making itself more at home, and eliciting significance from all sorts of details in the whole work in which we had hitherto neglected. And then there's some omission from what he says because he goes on with this very striking analogy. We believe that the sun is in the sky at midday in summer, Not because we can clearly see the sun. In fact, we cannot. If we tried to, it would damage our retina. But because we can see everything else. Now that's what he's saying. It's incomprehensible to us to take in all that the incarnation means. But things make sense when we include the incarnation in our thinking. And that's precisely Uh, ...what Lewis is trying to get across here... ...and what once caused him... ...after having been an atheist all of his life... ...to humble himself... ...to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in his life. Now we live in a world... ...which often does not make sense to us. Why should it be that the Ayatollah Khomeini... ...is on television... ...making a mockery out of diplomatic immunity and established legal practice all over the world. And day after day after day after day after day, the biggest show on earth is our television uh, networks uh, granting such great exposure to such uh, horrible activities as take place there. Now then, there are people who say the world doesn't make sense. The suffering in Cambodia is eclipsed by what the Ayatollah is doing uh, in Iran. Why is it that man is so irrational? Why has sin so possessed him? Why is he so lost? He is lost because he will not listen. He will not listen to the word made flesh which came to dwell amongst us and which is amongst us to this day. How many people do you really suppose take seriously the story which we have read this morning which is true? The truth of God invading this planet for the purpose of beginning to pull things together so that the symphony will make sense and the plot of God's purpose will be understood. There is wonder in it. And that's why it takes all of the great skill of a Raphael or of a Rembrandt or of a Michelangelo or of a Johann Sebastian Bach or of a Handel or of the greatest people in music and art to begin to interpret for us something of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Now, what makes sense about our lostness? We don't like to admit that we're lost. This is one of the things that... I have a, a great uh, admiration for a preacher out in California. He's the minister of the First Presbyterian Church in Berkeley. And uh, he used to be at the uh, American church in Manila And uh, he went to Princeton Seminary. His name is Earl Palmer, and he's spoken frequently here at Montreat. He's a very good preacher. He had a roommate at uh, uh, Princeton Seminary who was a friend of mine when I was a student at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, whose name was Jacobson. And uh, uh, Earl Palmer tells a very funny story that illustrates the kind of lostness that we modern men are in because it's a deliberate lostness. He said that uh, when he was a student at Princeton Seminary, this was before Interstate 40 and 30 and all the interstate highways that uh, go across the country, that he, with Don Mumaw and Jacobson and some other student, four of them, had tried to drive during the Christmas vacation clear across the continent, 3,000 miles from Princeton, New Jersey, all the way to California, because they were all four Californians. And he said they were trying to do it, stopping as little as possible, so they would just change drivers, they wouldn't check into any motels, they just kept driving straight on through. And he said they got into some place in Nebraska, uh, late in the night, and, uh, you know how it is in, well, it's that way in big towns now, you can't find a filling station open. But <laughs> there was a hard to find a gasoline station open and Don Muma, uh, who used to be a great football player for UCLA, Mumaw was driving and, uh, he, past the filling station on the left. They were driving west, and uh, he saw a filling station open on the left, so he circled around, made a U-turn, and came back into the filling station to fill up with gas. He went in the back and shook Earl and said, Get up, it's your time to drive, I'm going to sleep. And so he fell back asleep, and Earl came around, got in the car, drove off going east, <laughs> exactly backwards. And he said while he was driving east, he was thinking how wonderful it was to be on the highway and all the good things that you could think about being vigorous and strong and young and having this powerful car, and he'd drive 50, 60, and then get it up even to 70 a time or two. Then he saw this big Greyhound bus coming, and on the Greyhound bus, the, the board up front said Salt Lake City, and he thought, what a dumb bus driver. These <laughs> bus companies are going to pieces. They don't know east from west. Uh, they're really going down to... Two. And then he said he drove on very happily, going even faster and faster the wrong way. And then he saw another bus that was coming toward him, and it had Denver on on the front of it. And then he began to wonder if perhaps uh, something might be wrong, but he thought, no, the buses are wrong. And then as he looked toward the east, guess what comes up in the east? The sun. And he was staring the sun in the face, And then he realized, as he slinked the car into a U-turn and looked at his map, that he was wrong, that the sun couldn't be in the wrong place, (laughs) and that what he had done was a very dumb thing. And he said he tried to not wake anybody up and start driving the other way before they would all wake up and discover what had happened. And then when they did wake up and saw what had happened, they were all angry all the way practically to California about what had happened in the number of hours that they had lost. But he said uh, that this is the way we are. He said, instead of being willing to look at the signs that I saw and thinking these wonderful bus drivers couldn't be wrong, uh, Greyhound's a good company, uh, <laughs> or instead of checking it, that he had deliberately gone against that until he was floored with the sun. This is exactly what C.S. Lewis is saying here. It makes sense when you grant the grand miracle of the Incarnation. Now the Incarnation comes and the anthem is sung by the angels to the shepherds. And with all proper respect to all great musicians, I am so thankful that they didn't sing in excelsis deo. The, the angels weren't singing Latin. It drove me nuts when I was a little kid to think that the angels were singing Latin to these poor shepherds. How could they understand Latin? I didn't even know Latin out in East Texas. And and the shepherds couldn't understand it. They they were singing in Aramaic, I'm sure, the language that the people could understand. And and so they heard it, and they understood it and rejoiced. And the Lord gets his message across very well. And uh, so they understood. And the angels sang them a song, but it was a song about peace. It was glory to God. And this is one reason we don't have any peace. It's because we don't give the glory to God. And we do not seek his glory. Our catechism has got it exactly right. The Baptist will have to knuckle under one day and admit it. Because man's chief end is to glorify God. And until he gets to glorifying God, he's not going to get other things straight. If I come out of my office back here buttoning my robe up wrong, it'll come out wrong all the way up. And it's the same way if we put God first and we glorify him, then other things will get into their proper perspective. Then things will be right. Jesus is going to teach this. In the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, he has to say that he came to bring not peace but a sword because people would not listen. In the 19th chapter of Luke, when he enters into the city, and you remember when Palm Sunday comes, and they say glory to God in the highest because peace is coming. Hosanna they are singing uh, to him here. The peace, the peace that could be there is the peace that's in heaven. It's when we are willing to let heaven's will be done in us. And God's purpose is to be accomplished in us. And when we are willing to do that, that makes all the difference. That makes the difference, and that makes that anthem which these angels were singing so powerful and so meaningful to these country bumpkins who are shepherds who got the lousy late-night shift while their buddies were in town. They were having to stay out there on the hillside. But God, uh, God has a great sense of humor. That's why he made some of us. Um, uh, to, To think of it. Who would, who would send the Norman Luboff Choir and Fred Waring's Pennsylvanians and Robert Shaw and the New York Philharmonic Orchestra and the NBC Philharmonic Orchestra out there to entertain some shepherds on the hillside? Only God. God would do that. He pulled a big surprise. He revealed himself, not to all the theologians who were down there writing their books, but to these shepherds on the hillside. He revealed himself. Now, let me say some quick things about the shepherds because we've got this other meeting. Uh, The shepherds were at their work, and it wasn't good work. Shepherds were a very lowly chore to have. And, uh, in fact, they couldn't even testify in court. Uh, They had a little difficulty with mixing up what's thine with mine, and uh, so they had a bad reputation. And yet the Lord reveals himself to these shepherds. And he reveals himself to the shepherds and he reveals himself in things and ways that they could understand. They had heard about angels. And so when the angels, the visitants, come from another world and the glory and the awesomeness of that tremendous display takes place, uh, they are awed by it. And when they are told and given directions to go into to Bethlehem to see this little baby that's born that is the son of God uh, their hearts must have really been filled with joy but they were about their work and God spoke to them in ways that they could understand and you know later Jesus when he compares himself and says of himself that he is the good shepherd and by the word I, always, I like to point out the word good there means efficient It means good at what he does, the kind of shepherd who doesn't lose his sheep. Uh, There are a lot of people who are good who lose their sheep, and that will get you in trouble. Uh, But Jesus is good as a person, and he's efficient in what he does. And uh, he is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd knows his sheep, and they know his voice, and they discern his voice. And I've watched since I've been here in Montreat. Since 1961, I've watched some of the dear saints of God as the years go by. They can hear voices. They read the scriptures. And they can have the Lord speaking to them in unusual ways because they are finely tuned. They have a great sense of understanding the voice of the good shepherd who speaks to them. And that's the way we want to be. We want to be so that we hear his voice and his voice speaks to us. And he spoke to them while they were about their work. And that says something to me too, that the men who clean these sewers out and the men who sweep out our buildings here and who cook and serve over in the cafeteria are all these men and women are precious in the sight of God. He has no little people and he has no little places. And uh, uh, this is important for us to remember. Uh, he's made us as individuals and he loves us as individuals, not as a big glob. Every little snowflake we're <laughs> told is is different and God made it just that way. He made it that way. So much so that when the snow falls, he says, make another one. I like the way that one looked. Make some more. Uh, he... Is original, And uh, so this helps us. These shepherds were about their work, and the Lord visited them in their work. I remember once reading a legend about an old monk in a monastery who was in prayer. And while he was at prayer, he was visited by a vision. And while this vision occurred to him, he heard the clanging of the monastery bell calling them to some chore that he had to do. And so he debated in his mind, should I leave the the experience that I'm going through and answer this bell? And then he thought, I have to. The bell is ringing, so he went. And then when he came back again and knelt again for prayer, the angel that came to him in the vision said to him, if you had not come back, I would have gone away. But because you were faithful to your task, then I came here uh, again to meet with you. And it's the same way with the shepherds. They couldn't hear the choirs forever. They had to go back up into the mountains again and back to their flocks when it wouldn't have been an easy thing for them to do, but they did it. And that's important for us to, re- to, re- to remember at Christmas time to be faithful about our work that's there. And then let me just say in closing that on the 22nd day of December 1865 a 30 year old preacher by the name of Phillips Brooks was in the city of Bethlehem with some pilgrims by the way he was a good friend of Mr. Dwight L. Moody's and he saw the little town of Bethlehem and he wrote the words of this carol which so many of us love and sing and I love the Last two stanzas, which are all that I want us to sing of it now, because this is what the meaning of the grand miracle is supposed to be in us, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray, cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. That's the new birth, the new birth in Christ. This is one reincarnation you can believe in we pray that as our service is brought to a close at this point that you will help us to remember that Christmas was never meant just to be a fun time it is true O Lord God that you would have us to be filled with joy and to celebrate but to remember with great joy what you have done for us and the pain that exists because of what you had to do that that star that shown at bethlehem was leading not only to a baby in a manger but to a man who would die on a cross so that our terrible sins and rebellion against you might be forgiven help us to accept the forgiveness which his atonement has made for us and help us to know the joy of the new birth and to live in newness of life and to touch other people with his life, and with his love. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forever. Amen.